Hello and welcome to the ESPN F1 podcast looking at the first week of 2020's pre-season tests in Barcelona at the Circuit de Catalunya. It's potentially been an ominous weekend with Mercedes looking absolutely fantastic. Lots of other talking points throughout the weekend. I'm Nate Saunders and I'm joined as ever by my ESPN colleague Lawrence Edmondson and we're going to pick through the best and the worst of the first week uh, which we've seen. Lawrence, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty good week. It's not too bad coming to sunny Barcelona. Cold mornings, but um, yeah, the temperatures get up in the in the afternoon. It's actually and really nice sunnier than usual in Barcelona. There's been sometimes we've turned up maybe a bit earlier in February, and it's been pretty cold. Yeah, well, two years ago we had the snow, didn't we, on the yeah. first day, and nothing got done, and everyone was saying, well, we need to move testing to somewhere warmer like Bahrain or somewhere else in the world where they have um, sunshine all year round. But yeah, uh, this has been perfect for the teams. They've only got six days, so that's uh, two less overall than last year. Um, but they don't seem to be having any problems because we've seen a lot of cars on track a lot of the time. And it, it that, that's probably no coincidence either. It's like teams are trying to cram a lot into each day. And we've we've actually saw it in kind of reverse. There were four red flags uh, on Friday, the third day. There was one on the second day. There was absolutely none on the first day. And usually we see uh, on the first day a lot of little stoppages, a lot of little things, people getting used to th- stuff like that. It felt like it had been flipped on its head a bit. Yeah, it had... Um it is amazing to think that these are they're still prototype cars i know lots of people have made a lot of stuff about the regulations staying the same from year to year that is true but these are still prototype cars that really i mean at most they've done 100 kilometers or so on track uh filming day before they turn up some of them hadn't even done that and they just go out and they kind of work like clockwork you know uh, williams were particularly impressive if you remember a year back from now they uh, didn't even make the first two days the car was yep. in pieces coming from the factory and yet it turned up um here in in barcelona and they usually have what's called an installation lap where they go out they just do one very slow lap and crawl back to the pits and i think the williams was first out and it did more than one lap and then it came back to the pits and it's just an indication of how well prepared these teams are yeah and they made a point didn't they getting to the end of the pit lane you could see that there's always a team that's like we want to be first out and williams claire williams spoke about it george russell spoke about the importance of getting out first and it might not seem like much on the outside but you can imagine to that team everything they've been through like you say 12 months ago suddenly they're straight out you know there's no there's no bad headlines there's no questions like are williams ready so um yeah i thought that was that was great but um what what sort of things do we i mean it's easy for us to you know we've been sat together in the media center but um i think a lot of people overlook some of the things in testing or maybe don't appreciate what kind of goes on because a lot of even though it's been broadcast this year there's still so much that we don't really know and we'll have to make educated guesses on what do you think is the one thing in testing that maybe maybe goes underappreciated or under the radar in terms of what what teams are doing yeah so this is what you have to kind of um keep in mind everyone always says don't read too much into times but you can start to get some information from from the times and also just the way teams are going about their business so ferrari and this time last year we actually thought that they were going to run away with the first few races and the car was hit the ground was very very quick and uh, the mercedes was genuinely struggling this time last year at the end of test one they were nowhere what they didn't tell us and they knew was that they basically had a whole new car that was coming to the second test but um they, they, they were still struggling and that was genuine so you look at how the teams are operating and so this year it's almost rolls reverse mercedes have hit the ground running uh 
they look incredibly quick. Uh, they've gone in to do what is quite clearly some performance and setup work as well. Uh, while Ferrari have done the opposite and they've kind of been very, very conservative with what they've done. Uh, the idea, so they say, is to get um, a lot of baseline data in there, uh, compare what they're getting in the factory on the simulations in the factory to what's happening on the car so that they don't end up going to Australia and have a horrible surprise like they had last year where they thought they had this brilliant car and they got there and it turned out there were several issues with it and also that they were in terms of where they were with their cooling in terms of where they were with the setup completely unprepared so that's what they're trying to do they're trying to do as much homework as possible early on but it does show you um kind of where the teams are and kind of their attitudes and stuff like that so it's been interesting picking that up uh, from to them but if we just look at the times as they are that's what i was going to say let's let's have a quick look at how yeah. they are straight away because i mean friday the third day um was perhaps the most ominous from Mercedes from a pace perspective. First time we've seen anyone dip into the 1 minute 15s. And for context, Valtteri Bottas's time today of 1 minute 15s and 0.732, four tenths slower than pole position here last year at the same circuit at the Spanish Grand Prix. And that is really significant because, you know, those are cars in the middle of a season, they're, they're completely stripped down for qualifying. They're, you know, they're not testing bits. They're not as you say, kind of at the beginning of their development. So it's pretty scary that they got there. And then the guy behind him in the running order is uh, a little-known guy by the name of Lewis Hamilton, um, seven-tenths behind him. They swapped over at lunchtime, doing a lot of laps. I mean, they finished... Uh, I think my, I always think mileage is still the most important metric at this point. Uh, Mercedes did 494 laps over three days. Red Bull did 471. And then if we look at Ferrari, they're the eighth team on that list. Uh, with 354. Now, those numbers kind of, you can throw them around and it doesn't seem that significant, but that's a lot of mileage between those teams. So Ferrari's conservative approach, and obviously Friday, Vettel lost a lot of time uh, with an engine problem, which um, is never, I guess you want to see a problem in testing, but when it was a Ferrari, I think a lot of people started groaning because we were also seeing at the same time this kind of Groundhog Day situation of Mercedes looking very, very strong. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and paint a slightly different picture. Yeah, please do, because um, I was worried I was worried people are going to start switching off, like, I ain't listening to this, this is going to yeah, be Mercedes I, the whole time. That's I think, not what we're going to do. I, I think there's no doubt about it, Mercedes has started this uh, pre-season incredibly strongly, but you look at those lap times, those two headline lap times, Nate just read out, and they were both set on the C5 compound. Now, the only other driver uh, to set a lap on the C5 compound, and actually I'll start, first by explaining what the c5 compound is because i realize not all our listeners uh, may be aware of pirelli's naming of their tires but um you basically have five tires that pirelli offer for the whole season they pick three for each track and the softer the compound the faster it goes and uh they are numbered one to five and five is the softest of all so by putting the fastest uh tire on your car you're more likely to go faster and it's actually faster a faster tire than the one they used in Spain, uh, so the fact that Bottas is three temps off um, is true. Of Sorry, four temps off of his qualifying lap in Spain last year is true. But then there's also an element of tyre advantage there as well. So the only uh, other drivers who set their fastest times on the C5 was Kimi Raikkonen, who was third fastest overall over the three days of testing. And uh, the other one I have on my list is his teammate Giovinazzi. So clearly Alfa Romeo and Mercedes keen to go uh, quick on that C5 tyre for whatever reason, basically just the way they are approaching testing, as I said earlier. And the likes of, say, Ferrari, for example, didn't. Now, uh, Ferrari did set their time uh, fastest time on the C4, which is also a pretty quick uh, tyre. But um, 
it seems that they weren't running uh, engine modes anywhere near as fast as even their engine customers. So Ferrari have two engine customers on the grid, um, which is Haas and Alfa Romeo. And uh, judging by GPS data and what people were seeing and, and, and the things they could gather from it, um, Ferrari were actually running about a second per lap off the pace of their customers on engine settings yeah, alone which would definitely suggest don't panic just yet exactly it's not like they've suddenly lost all that time so there you go so you've got a second uh, disappearing on uh, the engine and then uh, the fact that they set their fast time on the c4 well pirelli reckon the gap between the c4 and the c5 is about 0.6 seconds and so all of a sudden you've got 1.6 seconds back on that ferrari and what i talked about earlier they weren't really going for performance running so you start to reassess it a bit and you start thinking, well, actually, maybe it's not that bad. Now, the, the, the other team, which uh, we would expect to be up there, Red Bull, uh, they set their fastest time on day one, uh, which suggests they weren't really running uh, a similar kind of plan to Mercedes. Um, the track tends to get faster through the three days of, of this test because more rubber goes down. So clearly Red Bull's got more in that car and they set their fastest time on the C3, which is kind of the middle compound in the range. So sorry to get a bit kind of techie and nerdy on no, no, kind well, of on, on, on the reason. We've talked but, about Lawrence gets nerdy before, and that's the first <laughs> instalment I think of potentially two. There you go. I, 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 I unleashed it without yeah, any yeah. warning. No, so, I, um, I hope it's still with we us. We need to get a jingle for that because then people know they can either listen or sorry, mate, but they can skip. No, exactly. If they want to on on, on your iPod or your uh, or, or your app or whatever you use. There's always that thirty second yeah, skip. Yeah. So Which like if you just it's a godsend for podcasts as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, what I hope to do uh, rather than kind of bore you was actually to instill a bit of help, uh, hope, sorry, in um, in everyone's viewing of the timesheets, and to say that there's way more than just what you see on the surface yeah. and. I've said that, and that's really a kind of crude estimation of where things are, because there's also things like fuel loads and, of course, what the teams were trying to achieve. So all I'm saying is, yes, Mercedes were fastest, but it doesn't mean that they're running away with the championship before we've even uh, seen a qualifying session. Absolutely. And we should point out, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, if we go back 12 months, if we're doing this podcast, we'll be talking very, very positively about Ferrari. And we all know what, what happened there. You know, Ferrari didn't quite do as well as we thought they might do. They didn't win a race until after the summer break, in fact. So, um, yeah, definitely best not to get carried away. So the next question. Vos is das. This is, uh, don't worry, I haven't suddenly completely lost all composure on this podcast. Uh, one, I, I was going to say word, but uh, acronym that we've been talking about over this test is DAS. Uh, Mercedes rolling out an ingenious uh, device on their steering wheel, which they named DAS, and this was going to be the, f- the official Lawrence Gets Nerdy section. Um, but this really, I mean, we're going to have to describe this to you. I urge anyone to go and find a video of this uh, online because it really is quite impressive. And the rest of the paddock, when you've been talking to other people, there's questions over legality, which Lawrence will cover, um, or, or at least people curious about the legality. But um, a lot of teams actually kind of tipping their hat and saying well you know fair play which you don't always get in formula one usually first of all you get the accusation and then you might begrudgingly get the fair play bit but they've gone straight into it with fair play so without further ado i feel like i've teed you up and you have to explain what the acronym means as well this is all part of the official segment of lawrence gets nerdy lawrence take it away so das is um stands for dual axis steering and um 
this is why it's so important to go and find this video. It's the onboard of either Valtteri Bottas or Lewis Hamilton. And you will see them move the steering wheel towards them. So, of course, we're used to seeing them move the steering wheel side to side as they go around corners. But the whole steering wheel moves towards them, a bit like when you've got a high car and you're trying to get the steering wheel in the right place. So, um, at first, it looks bizarre. And you think, you know, what on earth is going on there? And then closer analysis of the uh, of the video showed that... Um, the front tyres, the kind of um, alignment of them changed slightly as the driver did this. So it was quite clear that the driver's movement on the steering wheel was having an impact on the alignment of the two front tyres. Now, you might think, looking at a car, you'd want the two front tyres to point straight ahead uh, and anything else would cause some issues. But um, even your road car will have some uh, kind of alignment. And, and, and what we call that is toe-in or toe-out. Toe-in is when the two wheels are pointed, front wheels are pointing very slightly towards each other. Toe-out is when they're pointing very slightly away from each other. And so in a Formula 1 car, what you tend to want is a bit of toe-out because as you hit the brakes and go into corners, um, it creates extra stability in the car. So um, if you're kind of running the setup a little bit to uh, some extreme you, you might want to get that toe out and then that kind of gives the driver a lot more confidence under braking uh, if you have toe in then the front end becomes very what they say is pointy so as you turn in it kind of really kind of turns in a bit too fast and then you end up probably in a spin and in the barriers so you want to run the toe out but the problem with running toe out is that um you basically put a lot of strain on the inside uh of the tire on the inside shoulder of the tire because rather than the tire just rolling straight it's rolling at a very slight angle which means that um it's kind of scrubbing or being pushed along by the car as it goes over so that can create a lot of heat it can create uh, potentially blistering on the tire which is when the tire gets damaged um so what this allows mercedes to do is to get the luxury of that toe out which they want for certain corners and then uh, at the same time that they can bring the wheels in align them fairly straight we don't know exactly what the uh, the percentages are and the degrees are um of, of how much it changes but they allows them to run straight on the straight so you don't have that uh, down so that side effect that you don't want uh, from the toe out yet you still have the stability going into the corners so it's i mean it's such an f1 thing isn't it but yeah. um you know it's so minimal marginal tiny little degree change and stuff like that but what makes it so good is that it's visible so you actually see it happening so often you have these marginal gains through aero and that kind of stuff but this is visible you see the driver do something you actually see something on the car change and i think that's why it's really captured the imagination this week yeah and i think um and I mean, round of applause first. Of, you know, <laughs> we'll you. ask we'll ask our sound guys to to put some applause in or something. That was good. Um, the thing the thing that I actually quite like about this was that um, usually in testing we're sat in the media centre and all we really have for reference is the window because you see cars come past and you know that's really you know if the car breaks down on track. Until this year, you've kind of just had to guess there'll be like this really grainy CCTV of the car being loaded up onto a flatbed truck. This year, F1 obviously deciding let's broadcast this. And that is really why people became so aware of this because every time you saw an onboard with Mercedes, somebody obviously cottoned on and then slowly more and more people started noticing it, which I thought was really fascinating. And I think Mercedes obviously probably would have preferred people didn't see it, but at the same time you felt like they had a bit of a feather in their cap, sort of like, yeah, we did this. And, you know, they're obviously supremely confident that it's going to stay on the car. You wouldn't have rolled it out for testing if not. My big question, and I guess anyone's question listening, um, how relevant or how, um, is this a game changer? Is it? Is it? It's going to be too too early for us to know that. But something like this, how big of a game do you think it can make? That's a really tricky question, and I don't have an answer at the moment. And I think all the other teams are trying to find an answer, and even Mercedes are 
basically they're testing it so they get an answer to that question um they wouldn't have done it if 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 there wasn't a pretty big gain to be had because this has been in development for at least a year uh possibly a bit longer and so that's a huge amount of effort that's gone into it um it's also going to be outlawed from 2021 uh, so as Mercedes have been developing this and they've been putting money into it, they've also been in touch with the FIA to make sure that they're not doing anything which stretches the boundaries of the regulations and so that it will actually be allowed to remain on the car and won't be uh, judged illegal the minute it kind of hits the track in anger. Um, and that's one thing I think people overlook is just how much consultation goes on with the teams and the governing body. Whenever they're making anything, there's a constant dialogue because the teams obviously, you know, they're taking incredibly detailed little bits of the car to the FIA and there's no point in doing that and then getting to the racetrack and the FIA turn around and said well what the hell's this this is illegal yeah. so it, I think it's something that people sometimes forget or overlook if they're not following too closely yeah and, and that also uh, while we're on that subject requires a huge amount of trust because you, you know they're dealing with the FIA and they're giving them all their secrets uh, but the FIA are very careful to keep that also secret from the rival teams because um, one of the big questions that came out of uh das running yesterday was do the other teams copy it and um but like you said there's there's a time limit on how long das will be uh relevant for so exactly so if it's if it's banned in 2021 do you go with it um that very question was put to mattia binotto today he's the ferrari team principal and he said uh that they're analyzing it they'll definitely look into it but realistically, uh, he said that they're not going to get anything on the car until mid-season. And I think even that is going to be, you know, some pretty serious work uh, to get through. And, um, of course, Mercedes, when they first did it, they came up with the concept first. So there was, you know, that whole kind of planning stage. But if it took Mercedes a year, I don't think it's going to be uh, that quick for um, for everyone else. So it's it's a real kind of interesting innovation. It's just, it's just different. And that's, I think, what's made it um, such an exciting talking point from a F1 tech nerdy point of view. Um, but it's, it's, it's also one of those things that, uh, testing is great for because once, you know, teams start to learn about it, then, uh, yeah, you get that kind of, uh, question. And, and all, what the question all teams would have asked themselves already is what do we do here? Do we protest or do we, um, to try and get it banned or do we take it on ourselves? And, uh, I think while they may not launch an actual protest what they will definitely do uh is seek clarica- clarification on a few things from the fia and that's essentially a fact-finding mission they go out on so they ask the fia several questions if theoretically i were to do this would it be legal if theoretically i were to do it this way w- would it be legal and they will get yes or no answers with probably some explanation as well back from the fia which won't give away what mercedes are doing but it will allow them to guess certain things and uh we saw exactly the same thing last year when everyone suspected ferrari were doing something a little bit naughty with the fuel system uh, a lot of questions were asked and if i said well of course you can't do that issued that in technical directives which are basically additions to uh, the technical regulations and then um, the other teams can start to go about trying to do their own version of it uh, the other teams didn't get very far without one they did never really found out what ferrari was doing or how they were getting that extra power out the engine but with this one i think it will be a slightly more straightforward way of uh, of finding out the question is then can you uh, design it manufacture it and get it on the car this year before it's banned next year and uh, the answer is probably only for about kind of 10 races or so but yeah and then and then back to your original question which is the big one and the one i you know i don't have an answer for i'm not sure many people have a real honest answer for is is how much lap time does it gain but it's certainly something and that'd um, be different circuit to circuit as well it's not like this is like here's the number through the season 
it's going to have a different impact at different places as well, which, again, is what makes these sort of things fascinating, is that you might be talking about something that really has a massive gain at one place or two places, but that could be, you know, if it's a tight championship, that's that's a huge thing. So, really uh, cool one to keep an eye on. Of course, we don't want to just focus on what is happening up at the front of the grid, because we have an incredibly competitive midfield in Formula 1. In fact, some would say, some would say secretly, that the uh, F1.5, as it's become known, has been more entertaining in recent seasons over the course of a year than Formula One. I don't think that's like, a secret. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't know why I'm saying it's a secret. I believe it. You believe yeah. it. Uh, but we have, we've, we've seen a few years where there's been an incredibly close fight um, in what we call best of the rest, which is a t- talking point in itself for another day, the fact that we're in this situation. F1 trying to solve it for next year. Hopefully they can do that. Um, but yeah, we've seen, we've seen a lot of mileage racked up, as we said earlier. Um, and I mean, Alfa Romeo and McLaren were both right up there from the midfield. Alfa Tori had a pretty productive, uh, first week under their new name. Um, so the first thing I was going to talk about is I think the midfield this year easily has some of the best looking cars from a pure paint perspective. What's your favorite one? Well, mine isn't really, I, I'm, I'm going to be quite boring. Here. I, like, I really like the Renault. All black I, Renault. I, yeah, I don't think that's boring at all. I think it looks really, really like from a, it's pretty sexy from a car perspective. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite a good-looking car underneath as well. Um, and I'm not really looking forward to going back to yellow because they're going to go back to what is essentially the same livery that they had last year, and I think the year before. But um, yeah, they put this kind of black vinyl over the top to disguise that, which is all a bit of a kind of marketing thing. I'm not entirely sure what the it's, end game it's, is. And, it's a bit weird. I think yeah. everything Renault's done this preseason has been a bit strange. Like we talked on episode two about their launch without the car. I know we have different opinions on it, but just there's bits they've done. You're like, why? What's the point? I, yeah. But anyway, that's, yeah, that's a. Uh, but what they have got at the moment is a really good looking car. And also, Daniel Ricciardo's helmet, um, I know we've, uh, written about it on the site. And if anyone hasn't seen it, please track it down because it might not yeah, last until does Australia. Look, does look awesome. But, um, yeah, all purple helmet with a Kobe Bryant tribute on it. Um, which I think, who, who did he get to do it? Uh, so he, he, on the morning of his first day in the car, um, had a plain purple helmet. As, as you yeah. say, he's changing his, his crash helmet design for the new season, which I'm, like you say, I'm really looking forward to because his one last season was absolutely superb, like really, really good. And I think he saw a purple helmet and he realized that he could do a Kobe Bryant tribute. He lives in LA. Um, he's actually, he said he's never been to a Lakers game and he was always hoping he'd get a chance to meet Kobe Bryant. Right. Um, so I think he felt compelled to do it. And, um, he, I'm not sure the exact details, but he had, a, they had a, somebody who had a, basically a tattoo style gun. And in the morning, they basically, you know, got some yellow, paint or uh, yeah so i've never had a tattoo so i don't know the official uh wording yeah. of all these things but he basically they wrote um kb24 on one side uh black mamba on the back and there's a snake right at the front as well it all does look quite diy quite makeshift but i think i like that he quite likes that about yeah. it because it does look like it is it was just thrown on together um and it's nice uh I, we didn't notice it did we uh on the well, grid no. and, and that's when we worked out that and I went and spoke to some of the people uh, who work with Ricardo and they said yeah he actually walked away from the photo on the grid uh, and then had it done so it was literally in the hours before he got in the car so another one to check out on social media yeah so F1 did this weird thing um, right at the very start of testing it was a half eight on the first morning and um, they all rocked up uh, with all the drivers and all the PRs came on the grid and the idea was to get these uh photos of the drivers um, looking all kind of heroic and stuff like that and it was pretty funny to watch because they were all lined up there and um they had this kind of, this American, uh, I don't know, 
what's the word like director i guess because they were also filming and he was like look fierce guys look fierce <laughs> like it, just just picture yourself win the championship it's a bit like zoolander isn't it it's it was like, it was it was very it's on the on the cusp of being zoolander and some of the drivers kind of took it a bit seriously and kind of actually looked yeah. like you know I'm, I'm picturing the championship i'm picturing the trophy in my hands and then daniel ricardo was there just pissing himself which yeah, was, was pretty funny to watch which is why you've got to love daniel ricardo right yeah. he's just he he takes those moments and kind of adds adds that bit to them so as i said my favorite was the black Renault, especially with ricardo's very cool helmet um on board how about you which one floats your boat i also really like the Renault, but i'm going to give this to the team with a new name alpha tory uh, sorry alpha towery as uh, I'm, i still can't get my head around saying it that way you know when you've said something for six months and it's not right <laughs> It's like when you read a history book. All the time. You, yeah, yeah. When you read a history book or you read anything and you read something's name and then someone says it differently. Horrible. Uh, but the car is is really nice. So it's Red Bull's clothing brand, Alpha Tauri. They've rebranded Toro Rosso, which um, is still the junior team, still based in Italy. Great dark blue and white color scheme. Uh, I already liked it. And then I heard my best description of it, uh, of, of, of testing. So a journalist, a colleague of ours who actually originally was meant to be on this episode and we had some technical difficulties that prevented that um earlier earlier this week ben hunt um journalist of a very very long time uh like the alpha tory to a blue whale which i hadn't thought about you know he said the blue under uh, the white underbelly the blue top and now i can't look past it um and but i still like it i still think it's a very very good looking car and like i, I think i like i make the joke to him earlier this week can't wait for a, a wet race because then we'll really know if that's if that's a good comparison or not um but yeah, there's some there's some really nice looking cars on the grid. I think the Williams, from a livery perspective, is really nice. They've added some red, which if you follow F1 for a while, you might know hasn't always gone that well for Williams. Yeah. Uh, in the past, they had a very very bad set of cars, 98, 99, that were all red. Yeah, can't get much worse. Than That's what I was going to say. I mean, if, if 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 that right now, I think that that they'd paint it all red again if they were <laughs> going to finish third, fourth, fifth, or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's there's some good looking cars. Um, it's quite difficult right now to really get a good picture of the midfield it's actually like with the front we haven't seen all the guys going for in terms of performance racing point looked pretty pretty strong um and there's a pretty interesting story because some have called it the pink mercedes there's been some some cynicism there's been some words going back and forth um what's going on there yeah so it is very much or it's very similar to last year's mercedes design and um we didn't see it until the first day of testing so it went out of the garage and all of a sudden everyone looked at it and they thought wow you know that nose looks an awful lot like the yeah. mercedes nose and they, wait a minute the side pods look an awful lot like they did last year on the mercedes then the front wing and then you start to look at some of the smaller details and they're almost identical and racing point have been quite straight about this they've said well yeah we have copied the Mercedes car. Um, we haven't done it in an illegal way. Mercedes haven't given us any data on their car. They haven't given us any designs because that would be against the regulations. And just to point out, Racing Point get their engine from Mercedes. So they have a very close partnership. So this was it. Them. And it's not just the engine as well. So what they get is the engine, the gearbox and the outboard suspension bits. So the bits you see uh, coming out on the suspension, the wishbones and so on. And, uh, and what they were finding is that uh, for years and years and years, they thought Red Bull had the right idea. So they were trying to basically mimic a Red Bull style design. The only problem was that the gearbox they were getting from Mercedes uh, was designed around a Mercedes design. And the difference between the two cars, and one of the main differences, is the kind of attitude and rake that they have as you see them side on. So you'll notice the nose is 
quite down on the uh, Red Bull and the rear of the car is yeah. quite high off the ground. And that's a great aerodynamic philosophy if you can get it working, but it requires to seal the floor, the big gap you leave at the back. You need to get some kind of vortices going down the side of the car that seal it and you get the diffuser working. Now, Mercedes take a very different approach. And in doing that, they design a gearbox which um, basically sits quite differently at the back of the car. And so Red Bull were trying, sorry, uh, so Racing Point were trying to do a Red Bull design, but based with Mercedes stuff. And they just hit a dead end last year. And so I'd love to have been in that room, that conversation when Mercedes or, or Racing Point said, "Look, I mean, we've just been trying to copy Red Bull this whole time." And Mercedes like, "You kidding me? We've been winning all these championships. We're giving you a gearbox. What the hell?" Yeah, Do you exactly. Think that's how it went down. Um, well, well, <laughs> maybe not. We, maybe we, not like we, we must emphasise from a kind of not breaking the regulations point of view. Yeah, this wasn't yeah. so. Mercedes, um, at least what they say is they were as surprised as anyone when that racing point came out of the garage. They're like, oh gosh, that does look an awful lot like our car. And um, so it it does make sense. And look, there's one year left under these regulations before they get torn up. And Racing Points basically said, we've now got the money. For years and years and years, they didn't have the money. So one of the main reasons they didn't do anything like this earlier is that they went down one route with um, with the way the car was designed, and it was the Red Bull route. But they never really had the money to do a complete concept change over winter. In fact, they were a team that would often turn up with a significant amount of unchanged uh, component. Like even the tub, I think, I uh, seem to remember from year to year, uh, at one point it was completely unchanged. And, you know, that is not a sign of progress. That is a sign of a team that was struggling. The yeah. one thing they could always do was churn out the results because operationally they're a fantastic team. You know, and... Um, a real force to be reckoned with, um excuse the pun of their old name yeah but a real force to be reckoned with when there's a budget cap and teams have to maybe operate within their means because they've been doing that year after year and like you say been doing a very good job of that yeah exactly so now they've got a bit more money which has come from lawrence stroll uh the stroll name you'll recognize because lance stroll's on the grid it's actually his father that owns the team and so now he's bumped that money in and they've decided you know what we got this money let's do something which is actually quite a big risk let's take uh, the design concept of the fastest car on the grid and just slap it on our own, you know, uh, chassis. And that's what they've done. And so far in testing, it actually really looks like it's paying off. Yeah. Uh, you got the lap counts over there. I don't know how they're doing on laps, but certainly on pace, they're good. Racing point. So yeah, they're seventh in the lap counts, which surprised me because they always seem to, every day. They always seem to be on track, right? Yeah, yeah. They did, they did seem to always be on track and they always seem to be higher on the daily counts, but maybe, you know, sometimes it's easy to lose track of that. The thing that is impressive is that They've been selling some pretty decent times. Um, it's going to be interesting because they were talking quite a big game at their launch. They were saying, you know, they, they were like, well, we can maybe get some podiums here this year, which if you've been following F1 closely recently, you'll know is a hugely bold statement for a midfield team to say. Because right now, unless there's crazy races like we saw last year in Germany and Brazil, it's almost impossible that a midfield team is going to get on the podium um, at the moment. So for them to be even using that word at their launch is... Um, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I can only imagine they don't mean on in a normal race when, yeah, I, when the top it must be, three it must teams be thinking finishing. of those situations. But, but that's the thing. If you've got 21 races, 22 races, depending on where we have trying this year, just by the law of averages, you're going to get some wet races. You're going to get uh, some situations where top drivers crash into each other or have mechanical problems. And historically, or in recent history, albeit not last year, Racing Point were very good at taking advantage of those situations. So you think, like, as an operational team, they're there, and now they have this concept which is working well. I, I'm guessing they're kind of pushing it right to the limit early on to see what they've got underneath themselves and to uh, and figure out where they are. That's the only thing that can explain their times, because their times are really good. And you know what? 
um, right now, I don't think saying we're going to get a podium this year is actually that ambitious uh, a target. Because if you just look back at the lap times, the tyres are on this week. The fact we're still quite early in testing, um, you know, it all looks really good. It'd be great and if it'd be great if they if it's genuine. Because think about it, it yeah. would add a, a a whole new element to the season that we haven't really had the chance to talk about. So yeah, and um, but they're, they're big rivals uh, for for that. And as we talk about how tight the midfield is, and I think it still will be is McLaren and Renault, mm. um, and they're both. Uh, developing concepts which they've been working on for a while okay Renault's a bit of a change bit of a departure but McLaren certainly is an example of a team that made a huge step last year and they're chipping away and they continue to do that so they're going to be a tough team to beat two very good drivers there as well so yeah yeah we've talked a lot I mean um, last week we talked about their drivers and their lineup they've kind of been quietly going about things pretty productively you get the sense that McLaren really pointing in the right direction now and they're just they're just doing they're ticking a lot of boxes and they're kind of andreas Seidel, we were actually talking about him in the car the team boss there really impressive guy and i think he's he's really got that team uh, operating in the right way um i'm still looking uh, over here on my laptop screen at the mileage count and the one i was going to talk about a little bit which i'm actually quite worried about going into the new year is the team right at the bottom there is Haas, with their 10th on the mileage uh charts and that's partly down to what happened today on friday uh kevin magnuson putting the car in the wall well, let, um, let's be fair to him. It was actually a wheel rim failure. So, yes, sorry that, yeah. that 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 I wasn't me- meaning to blame yeah, you. It's yeah, just, yeah, a, way, it's yeah. just yeah. a very easy way to say it. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the um, cover and a horrible place to fail as well because yeah. one of the quickest parts on the track. It's not like we saw Danny Ricardo spin today and got away with it. You know, it, it, it can happen. The last thing they needed that basically cost them the entire afternoon of running, and they struggled so much last year. You know, there, there were all sorts of issues. They basically didn't understand their car for half the season. And the last thing you want when you don't understand your car or you're trying to understand the lessons of last year is to lose half a day. Um, do you think it's as bad as it looks this week or do you think that there's light at the end of the tunnel? Because I don't think House has ever really built, in the last couple of seasons, built a bad car. They seem to, a bit like Racing Point, they seem to be good at maximising things with a limited budget. But last year they just couldn't find what was the issue. Yeah, so I was a bit concerned. And then um, I went down to Gunter Steiner's a brief media session at the back of the garage which are always some of the best parts of any they're, they're great they're fantastic. He's, he's, he's good fun and he didn't seem overly concerned now of course that's his job to to mm. not kind of tell the media that he's he's very concerned but he's about also it, but very frank isn't he 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 will tell he can be. If, if there's a problem he doesn't mind yeah. uh pointing it out so I, I kind of feel like it's not it's not gone perfectly for them but it's not a complete disaster the pace doesn't quite seem to be there um which I guess is a concern, but if they're also kind of going down the Ferrari route of just making sure you get every single box ticked early um, in the first week and then you concentrate on performance in the second week, then I think that's quite good. And uh, he was asked to compare uh, this year with last year. And of course, last year ended up to be a pretty horrible year for them, but they were pretty good in preseason testing. I remember oh, yeah. uh, we were looking at that car and we thought, well, you know what, this this could be best of the rest. And actually in Australia, you know what? It was pretty it damn was, good. Yeah. It, it finished high uh, with Magnussen and Grosjean had the problem in the pit stop, uh, which eventually led to a, a wheel coming off. I think that was it anyway. There was certainly a problem that led to a wheel coming well, off. Yeah, that happened twice, didn't it, in two years for them? That's was right, that, yeah. That same problem. So awful deja vu for them. But the car was quick. So, And he he, he said that he felt that um, they were in uh, as good a position as last year and actually last year was you know, a bit of a surprise. So I think what they're trying to do is safeguard themselves. They learned the lessons from 
last year and they probably saw the gaps in their knowledge when they look back at testing and then how they develop through the year so they'll be looking to close off all those potential loopholes all those things that could trip them up further down the line and make sure uh, that isn't a problem so that's my kind of hope for Haas at the moment is that yeah doesn't look great at the moment mm. but um it should it should get better and um potentially the reason Steiner's not too worried about it is he you could argue he's got bigger things to worry about namely Netflix coming out next week, which has played quite a big part in, and I think are going to be very entertaining because um, we've seen some snippets of it. And Gunther Steiner, if you enjoyed him in the first series, in the second season, he's absolutely fantastic. And there's some real candid bits in that, which I don't think he'll be watching it with Magnussen and Grosjean. I mean, I'm sh- I assume they've made up now, but it might make for awkward viewing. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've seen the episode, and uh, the embargo's lifted, so we're allowed to talk about it as well. And um, it is really good viewing. I'm not going to ruin it. I don't want to put out. No, 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 no. Yeah, we won't. But um, out on the 28th, though, isn't it? it Last day of testing next Friday. If you remember what happened in Silverstone, which is when um, the two drivers collided on the opening lap and kind of threw away an opportunity to as much anything learn about that car, but it also looked reasonably competitive that weekend. If you remember that, and you may have read some stories around that, where you see the real deal of what actually happened behind the scenes, and it is explosive it's fantastic the other great bit i loved is they have a uh, kind of a home with the steiners bit so there's steiner his wife and uh his young girl um i don't know if he's got two daughters but anyway it's only one of them features in it and uh it's quite nice because you see them on holiday together during the august break and then you see him at home and it's a little bit staged they're sat around the table with cameras but it's quite nice to see um a guy like gunter steiner who we see always in his kind of you know has team kit and all that kind of stuff at home in his civvies chatting to his wife um essential viewing so yeah, yeah he's that, that's he's, he's such an entertaining character and it's so it's completely genuine as well he's not putting that on for the camera he's he's a little bit eccentric but that kind of good good eccentric that yeah. you need in a in a, in a in a grid um so i think we can start wrapping up i think we've covered more or less the entire grid we didn't cover everybody but um hey it's a short podcast we can't do can't do everything we'll quickly rattle through some stuff that we're looking forward to next week and the stuff that uh, we're expecting as we've said a lot of the teams will be looking for performance i think a lot of the teams will i mean we know they'll start doing race simulations qualifying simulations etc and that's when really we get um a better picture of how things look going to australia which teams do you think are going into next week really under pressure if you if you had to pick three out i would i think we've already spoken about Haas. i think just by the nature of the mileage today uh and this week they look under pressure do you think ferrari have a bit of pressure or do you think that they're quite comfortable what they've been doing so far no i think ferrari always have pressure and one thing bonotto said in his media session which was probably the standout line is that they think they're behind uh mercedes and red bull at this stage um he said it's not too late to turn it around but i think they are going into the opening race expecting to be behind now the question is when you combine that with the fact that they were clearly running lower engine modes than their customers What's going on? Is there a little bit of kind of sandbagging? I never really see the point of sandbagging and testing, but maybe there is a little bit of something going on. Maybe they're trying to divert attention, play down expectations after what happened last year, shift the focus onto Mercedes, which have kind of brought the focus onto themselves with some very clever innovations on the car and all that kind of stuff. And maybe they're trying to pile the pressure and it's a kind of tactical, almost political game. But it would be, but, yeah. you know, the pressure is always on that team because the expectations are so high. They've got so many fans around the world. There's so much money behind it. And, uh, yeah, you don't kind of turn up, um, at Australia with a Ferrari badge on the side of your car and not feel the pressure. So we have to see some performance from that car. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a lot locked away in there, but I'm not sure it's quite enough to match Mercedes at this stage. Yeah. I think they're definitely 
if that is what they're doing, it's definitely the best way of approaching uh, the next week is kind of under what's what's the phrase under promise over deliver rather than the other way around which you could argue um happened last year to ferrari uh i think i'm really curious to see red bull actually next week i think that there's just something about that team and i was at max's session earlier which was packed with journalists but i was just about able to kind of see max and his body language and you can kind of get a gauge of how he's feeling and he looks pretty happy he looks pretty confident with the car spoke to alex albon he says the car is a huge step up from last year uh, and that was just, and that was before he'd driven on Friday on, um, on the final day. So, uh, yeah, I think Red Bull, I'm quite curious about just to see where they are in relation to Mercedes. And if there's one team that tends to accelerate with a big update in the second week of testing, um, I know Mercedes did it last year, but historically it's always Red Bull as well. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some big innovations on that car, um, coming up. There's been a lot of focus on the Mercedes, but there's some pretty clever stuff on the on the Red Bull as well. So um, I think they will start to show their true pace. As I said, fastest lap of the first test was set on the first day. So, you know, there's definitely a lot there that they're not showing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we will say that is that, or Das is Das for this first week's episode. I'm really sorry. That was terrible. Um, if you're wondering, because Alexis is usually the, the, the funnier host, she's not with us in Barcelona, uh, but she is still very much part of the podcast. She'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Um, you might argue, Lawrence, that we are, she is sorely missed because I think I've made about two or three really bad jokes in this podcast. We are back on Friday the 28th, which is the final day of testing. We'll have so much to talk about and then we'll have a better picture of how things look going to the Australian Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Hopefully we've answered a lot of your questions in this podcast, but there's still some that linger into that uh, final three days of testing. And it's going to be a really fascinating week. And hopefully, hopefully... Those other teams, Red Bull and Ferrari, we're looking at you. Someone's got to save this season because at the moment it looks like it could just be another case of Mercedes winning things. But we're optimists here at ESPN. We don't think that's the case. And hopefully next weekend we can um, talk about why we are optimistic of a very, very close championship fight. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next weekend. And please do keep on coming back to ESPN.com forward slash F1. We're on social media at ESPN F1. And, of course, here on ESPN F1 Podcast. 